Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, and thank you for joining us. Today we're going to be talking about strange Bible stories, and we're going to be examining the sons of Sceva and a paralytic killed by Jesus. But in this, we really want you to join in on the conversation, because what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be looking at these stories, which have some unusual elements, though they are indicative of many things in the Bible. But we're going to be inserting ourselves into the stories, because many times we read through Scripture and we, we look at the, the different accounts and we say, well, who would I be in this scene? Who do I not want to be? Who do I really wish that I was? I wish I saw something like that in my life. Well, today, as we go through these different biblical accounts, we're going to be inserting ourselves into the story as different characters. And we really ask that you send your thoughts, questions, and comments to us. Say who you would like to be. And thank you for joining us. This again is Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and I'm not alone here in Cord Purgatory. We've got a full clergy crew with us today. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. Pastor Anthony Alegria. I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. And you out there joining us wherever you may be, whether in the home or in the car, please send us your thoughts and questions on who you would like to be in these stories. So what we'll be doing is I'm going to read through some scripture. I'm actually going to break up the scripture a little bit because there's some really fascinating points in this that got to be pointed out. And after I get done with it, we're going to go around asking either who we want to be or who we do not want to be in these stories. And we're going to do this sort of a way of learning a little bit from the Bible. And again, scripture tells us who we are and how we interact with the world. And this is really a place where we can insert ourselves to these stories. So we're going to start now with Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 20. And this is the story of the sons of Sceva. And so let's get right into it. Acts 19.11 reads as follows. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that when the handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Verse 13. Then some itinerant Jewish exorcists tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. Now, we got to just take a pause for a second here at verse 13. Some itinerant Jewish exorcists. This is, this is a real question that we need to be asking. Like, first of all, there's three, three different words here describing their itinerant, which means they're kind of moving around. They're not permanent. Then they're Jewish. So you look through the Old Testament, you don't see a lot of explicit things with with demons being cast out in the same way you do in the New Testament. You see a few things, people interpret things different ways in the Old Testament, but the Old Testament is actually a lot more silent and reserved, talking about wicked spirits and things like that, where the New Testament talks about it fairly commonly in the Gospels and here in Acts. But you find these itinerant Jewish exorcists going around. Does anybody have an answer for that just off the <laughs> before we go any further in the scripture? No, yeah, no clue as to, to who or what, but it does seem to be there's a little bit of a melding between the Jewish faith and some different maybe mysticisms and spiritual practice that has produced this uh, incredibly interesting job description. Yeah, it, talk about a job description. How would you like to show it with your business card? I'm an itinerant Jewish exorcist. Well, and not only that, but it's uh, it's it's lucrative if to be able to sell Jesus and actually oh, absolutely. Th yeah. they are sell they are you know obviously they're doing probably this for some type of monetary uh, gain and uh, they're using the name of Jesus That's here it. so uh, Simon Magus the great heretic yeah. the great arch villain one of those in the early church Simon the sorcerer however you want to describe him anyways let's continue our scripture verse 14 seven sons of a Jew Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this Verse 15, but the evil spirit said to them in reply, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, 
but who are you? Verse 16, then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and so overpowered them that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Now, this demon, uh, this demoniac, this man possessed by a demon, the demon inside him, you know, is classy as ever, strips people naked and sends them on their way. I mean, this is just terrible. I don't, I don't really know what's going on with all this, but anyways, picking up in verse 17. When this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, everyone was awestruck, and the name of the Lord Jesus was praised. Also, many of those who became believers confessed and disclosed their practices. Before we get into verse 19, a legitimate question you have is, what are the practices? You know, I'm trying to insert myself in the story. What are they practicing? Well, verse 19 tells us. Verse 19 says, A number of those who practiced magic collected their books and burned them publicly. And when the value of these books was calculated, it was found to come to 50,000 silver coins. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. All right, a lot to take in this story. A lot of people practicing magic here. A lot of people doing that. 50,000 pieces of silver's worth. So $50,000, however you want to calculate that. Um, yeah, a lot going on here. Amanda, I'm just going to throw this to you. Who do you want to be in this story? Um, I think in this story, I would like to be one of the townspeople. I think it's quite a fantastic um, feat when you get to learn from somebody else's um, mistakes. And so they, they quite obviously, the, the kind of the turning point of the story is when the people look at the seven sons and how um, their misuse of God's name or Jesus's name, their misuse of magic and these other things that they were doing, how this naturally led to destruction. And so in order to invo avoid that end, and to find wholeness, they, they turn away from, from magic and from their books. And I was reading something you were talking about, the 50,000 uh, silver coins. One uh, commentator said maybe that each coin was probably a day's wages. So much more probably than $50,000. This was oh, 50,000 wow. uh, a day's wages. So whatever you earn a day, multiply that by 50,000. Uh, and that's probably how much money was taken. And, and also to be that kind of committed to uh, not sell those books and try to make a little profit out of it, but to completely abandon that kind of train yep. of thought and that ambition uh, to go to Christ is quite fantastic. And the the books get, I guess they get exercised. They get excommunicated. <laughs> yeah. Pastor Mike, who would you want to be in this story? Um, no doubt I'd like to be the Apostle Paul. Um, he is so closely connected with Jesus that even the, the demons know of him, they recognize him. Uh, but the name, recognize his name, but more so than that, uh, he's so closely associated with Jesus that you see in the beginning that even uh, the things that, that he has wore or anything, it's, it's, it's healing people. So it's, you know, God is using Paul greatly Even there. the demon recognizes and reveres Paul. Right. For his association with Jesus. And again, but who are you? Yeah, but who are you? He doesn't yeah. recognize his other you, guys. You use Jesus' name, and you're working off uh, the reputation of Jesus and, and Paul, but who are you? Yeah. So Paul has a great reputation, and yeah, uh, yeah I definitely want to want to be in Paul's sandals. All right, uh, Anthony, who would you not want to be? I got a twist here. All right, I would not want to be the townspeople. And so there's the general townspeople population who are freaking out over these demons who just sent a bunch of... Uh, priest's sons out naked and wounded, uh, totally shamed. And then there's also a subgroup. There's two subgroups. There's the group which are willing to turn away 
from these practices which are bringing about demons and other sorts of things and then there's the group who says no nah, we're going to keep our magic and our books and other sorts of things because it says that you know many of those uh who came to believe confessed and disclosed their practices and they burned their magical books and things like that but within that sort of the implication that not everyone did and i, I think that's also more realistic to how the world works it doesn't really matter how much christ does there are those who are not going to believe and so um those the most are the people that i would not want to be mm. is are those who retained who seeing all this suffering the fear of watching the chiefs the chief priest's sons being shamed in such a way by a demon and yet still maintaining that hard heart and keeping uh the magical practices yeah and my my thoughts on this i agree with amanda i would want to be the town sweet because they're coming to see jesus and it's so rare that people learn from the mistakes of others they're always just like well that won't happen to me but these people are like no nah, you know what we're gonna go <laughs> we're gonna go along with this but the people that I really would not want to be or person is the guy that's being exercised because we see no resolution in the story that the demon ever gets exercised from him. You know, he, he slaps all these other guys, strips their clothes off of them and sends them their way. I mean, that's not a reputation you want anyway. But then it never shows that he actually gets fully exercised, that the demon is cleansed. So that that's just a fascinating thing from there. And yeah, that's who I would not want to be. But in the end, God is praised and God... His work is being done. There is mighty movement in the gospel in the story. And that's a beautiful thing. So a couple of extra thoughts before we, we move on to our next story, because we're going to go to Matthew 9 in a moment. But So we've talked about who we want to be. And those of you out in the audience, send your thoughts, questions, comments, whatever you have. Post them. Let us know who you would like to be or not be in the story. But some other thoughts on this is... In the modern day and age, people would look at this and read this. And a lot of times we kind of are locked in this binary thinking, you know, does it work? Yes or no? Um... Is the power of Jesus really the antidote to evil? Some would look at this and say, well, these sons of, of Sceva, they were using the name of Jesus, so Jesus doesn't really have the authority. They'd say, why didn't Jesus' name work? And they would start to say, well, maybe the power is not in Jesus' name. But the truth of it is, is being in the kingdom of God is, is a lot more than just saying the name of Jesus out loud. Even the demons, and we find this throughout the New Testament, they know who Jesus is. They know he is the son of God. Um... Just saying the name of Jesus is not the same thing as actually being on the way of life that follows Jesus and was made available by Jesus. So the power to cast out the demons is not in simply, you know, being on the way of death, but looking over at someone else and say, well, I want to use the tools of those on the way of life. You've actually got to be on the way of life being led by Jesus. Anthony, I know you had some thoughts on this. Um, something that I realized uh, after you had finished reading that I did not realize before about the story is specifically that these are the sons of a high priest or a chief priest. And that's actually really interesting because most of the time, you know, we hear about uh, the Jews in the day of Jesus who had no interest in uh, the life of Christ and his ministry and, you know, did not believe him to be the Messiah. And worse yet were the religious leaders who um, really were challenging of Christ and here we see the sons of this religious leader who likely are treated as religious le leaders themselves coming and using the name of Christ. And so it's like, hmm, this seems like a really beautiful thing. Why isn't this working? And I remembered one of the lessons that's taught throughout the Gospels and um, frequently in the letters of Paul also, which this is not a letter of Paul, but in any case, throughout the New Testament, is that 
heritage is not enough to get into the kingdom of God. Just like Dylan was saying earlier, you actually have to be part of the life of the church. And so maybe it could be said that the sons of Sceva, on the basis of their heritage and, you know, who their father was and that sort of thing, thought, well, all right, this seems to be working out pretty well. So I'm going to get in on this name of Jesus bandwagon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And can y'all and not hear so, someone in the modern age saying, well, we tried Jesus, didn't we? We tried Jesus and it didn't get the demon out. Well, it's like, hold up, hold a second. Yeah. There's there's a difference between sincere faith, which is on the way of of life, and those who are just kind of spitefully doing it. Their their heart's not in the right place. They're not really doing what Jesus has called us to do. They're just kind of superficially using the branding of Jesus. This is the whole idea of taking the Lord's name in vain, where you just brand stuff as, as if it's God. You know, God tells us over and over again not to do that. He doesn't like it when people brand things um, with His name. They're not actually of Him. Yeah, yeah, I think also, you know, there's uh, uh, also just a big no-no. You don't uh, worship other gods, and so it's obvious that there's a um, an element of sorcery and and magic and all kinds of uh, um, stuff going on in in, the, in Ephesus. And one of the things that is extremely important, though, I think, is that they these seven sons of Sceva, and Sceva, by the way, uh, if, if that's the one, I don't want to be in here because his name actually means mind reader. And so uh, <laughs> that's, what, that's what Strong says it means. But anyway, if, if, if his sons are doing this, they are, they, evidently they are uh, achieving some degree of success. And, and one of the things that I don't want to under under state is there is power in the reputation and name of Jesus. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, you know, they were receiving some degree of success, but it can only go so far when it's not true and authentic. But, you know, I think today there are people who are not truly following Christ Jesus that are still receiving some type, some degree of success by using the uh, name of Jesus. Sure. Whether they're doing that wrongly or not, there is power in the name of Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. Yeah, and that's and, what Jesus is named. And what I was saying earlier, just to make sure that we're clearing on the same point, mm-hmm. is that there's power in the name of Jesus, but you just don't get to go around and brand everything Jesus that you want to be made fitting your will. You don't just get to go around and say, well, I'm going to put Jesus on here and it's going to do whatever I want for me. You know, God says, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Right. Um, you don't just get to brand stuff with Jesus and suddenly you become the God yourself. You get to just have it like a magic wand to do whatever you want. Um, Pastor Amanda, your your final thoughts on this story before we move along. Well, uh, I don't know if I have anything drastically new to, to do it, but I, I think there is a call then to learn from the seven sons of Sceva, not in just abandoning uh, the evil or uh, the disaster and <laughs> destructive things, but also moving towards a place of reconciliation and moving towards a place of power, you know, and... and I think I see this a lot if I were to say where do we see the seven sons of Sceva in today's world. I think it's very easy for those within Christendom uh, to slap a bumper sticker on something or to put on the right Christian t-shirt or even like, like, well, we've got the Ten Commandments in our courthouse, so we must be a just society. No, you actually have to live by those Ten Commandments. You actually then have to live uh, by the verses that you stick on your, your the walls in your house or on your t-shirt or whatever. There has to be a movement towards living rightly. And so I think that's where then the power comes from God ultimately. But God, 
wants to partner with creation. He wants to partner with us. But that means then we have to live by God's rules. And so I think that's really, I guess, if we're going to say, what what do we learn? What have we learned today? Uh, like in Veggie Tales, uh, we have learned uh, we must be people of character. And that character, of course, comes from who God is. Sure, sure. And to give the flip side of that, there are people on the other side who say, well, you can't put post that there because it's putting God on me. But we know that following God is much more than just being in a room with that on the wall. Um, obviously, that doesn't just convert people instantaneously. That would make all of our jobs here at Kingdom of the Law guys completely obsolete. All you got to do, post a Bible somewhere and boom, everybody's saved. You know, no, that's not how the world works. Um, but we're not here to say that you shouldn't use the name of Jesus righteously and you shouldn't use um, things like scripture and the Ten Commandments. That, that's actually a good thing to do to surround yourself with these things, yes. but you just got to make sure you're living by them. Um, Yes, invoke the name of Jesus in prayer. That's what we're called to do. Do things in the name of Jesus, but just make sure you're doing it on the way of life, not somebody who's looking to sell it and, and corrupt it and take the Lord's name in vain. Alrighty, let's get on to our second story for today, our second strange Bible story with strange characters. Interesting characters, though. We're going to be going to the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 9 today. And if you follow some of the other programs, which are more or less my sermons, uh, we've talked about this several times now, but it's a very important story for us to go back. You find it in the Synoptic Gospels. It's the story where the paralyzed man is brought to Jesus and he is healed. So what we see happening here is a, a paralyzed man lying on a bed is brought before Jesus. And we're going to go ahead and read this in Matthew 9, and let's get right to it. And just then, some people were carrying a paralyzed man lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, before I read verse 3, I want to go back and emphasize it was the faith of the friends that moved Jesus. Just think about that. When Jesus saw their faith. That's not Dylan saying that. That's what the scripture says. He, Jesus is seeing their actions and he is moved by that. Verse 3. Then some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. Pausing again, these people here, they're educated. They're supposed to be the elites in society. They're convicted. They know what they know to be true. They get out there. They're talking in public. They think they're without fault. But they're looking at God incarnate, and they confuse the freedom from sin that he is bringing them, the freedom from paralysis. They confuse that with blasphemy. Their education, their, their view of, of morality, their assurance in themselves has so blinded them that they can't even tell what they're looking at. No self-awareness at all. Verse 4. But Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Stand up, take your bed, and go to your home. He stood up, and he went to his home. And when the crowd saw it, they were filled with awe. And they glorified God who had given such authority to human beings. It's a very, very interesting text. Very interesting passage out of the Gospel of Mark or Matthew. So, Pastor Amanda, who would you want to be in this story? If we look at the questions, who would you want to be here? In this story, I think I'd really like to be one of the friends or, or maybe to have a group of friends like that. Uh, but no, to... to um have faith like that. <laughs> Sorry. I, I just, Anthony I'm just, sitting here like, whoa, hold up. All I, right. didn't, I didn't okay. mean that. It's not, <laughs> All right. I see how it is. We're, yep. We're not those types of friends, you guys. Don't worry about it. 
we're not that we're not that we're not as reliable as those guys no but but. i mean i think all of us whenever we hear these fantastic (laughs) stories especially miracle stories and we live in such modern times where we don't so readily see those kind of fantastical stories happening around us amen um we wish to be a part of them and sometimes we miss where we are a part of them maybe just not as uh quite quite fantastical but i I think to have that kind of faith um and and all though definitely it's not our faith does not save others but our faith can so influence others and can call attention to others um that i hope that i am or that i will be or i am becoming uh, someone with that much faith very good pastor mike who would you want to be in this story this may sound very odd um but i want to be uh, I would like to be the paralytic, uh, not that I would ever want to be paralyzed, and and uh, but this is this is this what's going on. I feel like that sins are being forgiven and sins spiritually paralyze us. And even though this this man is uh, physically paralyzed, he has great friends, and so this this is uh, extremely important. So the paralytic is a blessed man this day. And, and uh, you know, to be touched by, touched by Jesus, I'll just say, you know, uh, b- before I come to know Jesus, before Jesus touched me, I was paralyzed in my sins spiritually. But once Christ touched me uh, and freed me, it was a new life. And I just can't help but want that touch of Jesus yeah, and, and that forgiveness of sins. And, and when we look at this story, it's clear Jesus looks at this man and he realizes there is something afflicting this man worse than the paralysis. Paralysis is is a very tragic thing when people experience that. And I'm not here to to belittle that. But the truth of it is, is all of us who live long enough, we're going to have problems with our bodies. But the, the thing which lasts longer than the body is the sin that affects the eternal soul. And Jesus looks at this man and realizes the curse of sin is something which truly corrupts and imprisons people. And Pastor Mike, you kind of went in this direction to be liberated from that is a beautiful thing. Absolutely, and not only that, but I think in this story, if you look close, there is a spiritual paralysis of the scribes. And and, uh, by all means, I do not want to be a scribe in that area. And so it's not just about knowledge. It's about who you know. It's about the faith of of the people that are around you, but also yourself, and, and the forgiveness of sins. It is the work of Christ Jesus that heals. Amen. I want to be paralytic. All right, Anthony, coming back around to you, I know you, you had some thoughts on both who you wanted to be and not wanted to be in this, this story. Go ahead and share them with us if you would. Well, uh, I suppose, of course, I... Well, I guess not, of course. There's several people here that I one could want to be, but I would want to be the friends um, because of their faith. And if I'm being honest, though, the one that I would probably be in this story is the scribes and they're the ones i don't want to be i don't want to be the scribes um because i mean ultimately they're wrong of course but in their own minds it's almost impossible to consider that possibility you know i mean consider it yourself that god there's only one true god that you consider and uh some guys running around forgiving people of their sins and things of that nature. It's like, whoa, that's something only God has the authority to do. I could very easily see myself correcting people for this reason, especially if I am one of these scribes of Second Temple Judaism. I mean, I would have no, I would have no reason 
within itself to think otherwise. And, uh, you know, then Christ does prove his authority. And I really hope that they saw that with open hearts. And I pray that whenever I see such things in the world, that I can see it with open hearts too and recognize the authority of Christ. Um, but that mentality is almost impossible to overcome. And it's it's almost uh, impossible to be aware of, as Pastor Dylan was, yeah, was saying yeah. earlier. I mean, most of the time these people are completely unaware. And this isn't me saying something insulting to them. This is me almost trying to be self-aware and realizing and projecting that onto others also and realizing, whoa, okay, most of the time yeah. we are utterly unaware. We, we see on. this in the modern world. You, you see people, if you've watched things on the television, you see people talking news, talking heads, whatever they may be. People oftentimes get in this place where they're highly educated on a topic. These are scribes. They're supposed to be religious experts, religious elites, and their education has blinded them. They have no self-awareness. They think it is impossible for them to be wrong. There are people in this world, and if you watch other programs, if you watch like news, you're probably going to see somebody this day on the TV say something that you may not agree with, but the person saying it thinks it is impossible for them to be wrong. This is one of the reasons that our culture has gotten such a, a really sick state is because there's the big people, the loudest voices who really don't represent most of, of who we are. They think it is impossible for them to be wrong and they want to go further in whatever direction they're looking at. The scribes, this is nothing new. It's been going on for thousands of years. People think it is impossible for them to be wrong. They're educated. They've dedicated their lives to something they think they can't be wrong. And having self-awareness to hear, you know, who, who do I want to be in this story? I would love to be the friends. And I'll give a reason why in a minute. But self-awareness, all four of us in this room, we are closer to the scribes as terms as our occupation than anything else in the story. This is a place where we're religious leaders. We've all gone to school. Um, three quarters of us are ordained, and one of them is uh, one of us is on the track to ordination. We we are the religious leaders, people who've been educated in this stuff. And what this story tells us is all of that. In spite of it all, you can still be wrong, and you can confuse the liberty of God with blasphemy, and that's a scary thing. Anthony, well, as uh, Paul likes to say, it's sort of this is sort of a Sunday school answer, but without Christ, it's all worthless. Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter how educated we are in the law, but um, without Christ, none of it means anything. Without love, without uh, the fruits of the Spirit, it's all worthless. Yeah. Pastor Amanda, you know, I was thinking. Uh, you know, their hang-up is on who can forgive sins. And yet, you know, in Jesus, when he teaches us to pray, says, you know, Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus also shares the parable of the man who's forgiven of this phenomenal debt that would take several lifetimes to pay. And yet he won't forgive the debt, this very tiny debt of, of someone uh, who he's lent out money to. And, and I think what's fantastic, and maybe in this conversation as we're talking about, we do see ourselves as scribes, or we see the scribes almost as the kind of the easiest group to fall into, um, to keep ourselves from being blinded by our own ambition or our own intellect. I think we see where God calls us to, again, participate in what God is doing. And, you know, as God forgives, we are to forgive. As God loves, we are to love. And so to keep ourselves from being caught off guard is not to look at ourselves, uh, but to look at how we are to treat others. And that might keep us from, I guess, uh, getting uh, falling well, into our own trap. And I don't think you're telling us not to have any self-awareness. I think oh, you're no. just saying we don't be so inwardly focused right. that it our only standard becomes me. Right. Is is me being satisfied by the, that is the dangerous trap. You've got oh, to yeah, be. Oh, introspection is important, but yeah. we don't make introspection 
or ourselves the arbitrator of then that yeah. own in, introspection. Even when we are introspective, yeah. we are comparing ourselves to God. Yeah. And when there is a difference, we confess that, and then we call on the reputation of God to transform us more and more into that image. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a time for repentance. There's a yep. time for confession, uh, and there's a time to move out uh, outside of ourselves. And introspective, in, not egocentric. Yes. Yeah, there you, go, that, there you go. But <laughs> one other thought that you had brought up in show prep, Pastor Amanda, was that the scribes, even they still have hope. Oh, yeah. And th- there's an element here where these people, there's hope for them too. Would you elaborate for us on that just a little bit? Uh, I think in, in that time when the story was originally being told, often we, f- we do focus on the paralytic man or another stories where maybe the adulteress or the woman caught in adultery. Uh, but as those stories have been retold again and again, we've lost kind of uh, where we make the scribes the villains of the stories. We make the Pharisees and the teachers of the law the villains. And we, we kind of paint them as the really the antagonists of the story who, who are doomed to be the Darth Vader or the uh, Scar we just recently watched, Lion King, you know, and... and it, we miss out on the fact that these were hum- real human beings. They are not characters in a story. Uh, that they were real human beings who still had the real chance of encountering God's redemptive love. And even Pastor Dylan pointed out that it was actually to um, Pharisees or to Sadducees. It was part of the. They were part of the the religious elite. There's two of them that were the ones that actually took Jesus' body off the cross and buried it. Um, and so again, they. Although they had the greatest capacity, uh, I guess, to be the villains, they also had the greatest capacity to be to experience God's salvation. Well, yeah. What, what I was talking about in show prep was so many times we do want to beat up on the Pharisees. But if we look at the Pharisees, Nicodemus, who is one of the, the two that comes to bring Jesus from the cross, he's a Pharisee. Mm. He, he is one of the ones we often make out to be villains. But when all the other friends of Jesus are missing, when all the... He and Joseph of Arimathea, they, they come in the, the end of the Gospel of John. You find them come. And Nicodemus, a surprising person, he comes and he says, you know, we've, we've got to do something with our Lord. He's he's dead on a cross. We've got to get him down and get him buried. Um, Pastor Mike, your thoughts on this? Well, I'd we... just like to say also, don't forget that Paul was, uh, you know, a Pharisee as well and uh, studied at the, you know, at the feet of Gam- Gamaliel, um, one of the, the great teachers. And so uh, 70% of our New Testament comes through Paul one way or another. So there's quite a bit um, of use. And, and even as you were talking about, is there hope? Well, look where Paul was at when he uh, encountered Christ on the road to Damascus and the great transformation yeah. and understanding and revelation that he received. So. I think that's true. It's interesting, though, to me that out of all four of us, no one said they wanted to be Christ. And if we understand our theology that we teach and preach, that is, we are called to be the image of God. And Jesus is the exact image of God. Yes, he is God, but he is also a nature of taking on flesh and blood. He's fully human. Everything that Jesus does in the flesh, he does the human does it, not just the God uh, side, the God nature. And so for that being said, I think most of us are a little afraid of being idolatrous or, or blaspheming, saying they want to be God. But the truth is the image of God is forgiving sins. He's confronting evil and the hardness of hearts. And he is pointing um, to a great hope of healing and making someone complete and whole. And the most whole, complete person 
in this whole story is Christ Jesus. And and just for clarity here, if you say I want to be God, then that really goes down the idolatry. But if you say I want to be actually living as the image of God, I mm-hmm. want to be Christ-like. That is what we are called to do. And again, Church of the Nazarene, we use the language of sanctification. We use the language of Christ-likeness a lot, or at least we should. That's the, the idea that we want to be like Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we go up there and, and we're, we're like those there. In Genesis, they, they look around and they decide to build the Tower of Babel. And they say, ah, I'm going to make a, a gateway, a, a bridge right to heaven because I want to see the world from that perspective. I think I will be the, the one who, who rules from that throne. Well, I think Anthony was saying something earlier about, you know, you want to, you want to be, you know, not egocentric. But I think that the word there is Christ-centered and yeah. to be a Christ-centered life and a, and a uh, Christocentric. Yeah. Anthony, what are your thoughts on this before we... Well, if you look at um, the last verse, it's kind of awesome that Mike thought to bring this up because uh, the second part of the last verse is, They glorified God who had given such authority to human beings. And now, just as within the story says, um, the scribe in us and the scribes within the people of God see that, and had they heard it from anywhere else but the Bible, would uh, lose their, uh, they would not be able to contain themselves. Yes, there we go. They would explode. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't yeah, even be able to yeah. keep it within their own thoughts. They would there, there are a lot of, of theologians who would rate the Bible poorly, by the way, though. Yeah, and it says so pretty clearly here that there is uh, a changing of humanity that comes with the advent of Christ. Yeah. Um, and that is going to be a restoration oh, no, that's to his a, image, and also with that comes authority and responsibility. Yeah, and that's the whole idea of second Adam, This, this you become a new creation. And just to give clarity on that little off-the-cuff statement I added there, this idea that there are a lot of theologians who would rate the Bible poorly. What I mean by that is there are people who, again, just like the scribes in this, they've kind of got so much of their own understanding of who it is that they've lost sight of the bigger picture. And, and I think Dr. Dunning uh, used a, um, a good word when we want to be Christ-like, and so our goal is to be, uh, you know, Christ-like disciples. But we we definitely don't want to place ourselves in the place of God. Yeah, and just because we got to wrap this up, I know we're right at our we're probably way past time. Anyways, um, I didn't ever say why exactly I wanted to be the friends. I know Amanda said that, but I want to go back and just tie up some loose ends here. One of the things that I think we've all experienced, and you can send me your thoughts on this, we've all had a a dark night of faith where we want our faith affirmed. You know, something is going on and maybe it's it's the tragedy of a loved one. You say, why can't this happen to me? With these friends, they're deeply concerned for, for you know, the, someone they love. They, they care for him. And they see their faith affirmed in a very tangible way. And so many of us, we desire that so much. We, we want to see that tangible affirmation of our faith. And these friends get that. So I get that that's a very... Um, <laughs> I'm always talking about you know, like high common denominator, low common denominator, like her highest expectations versus the lowest common denominator. This is one of those moments where something all of us kind of appeal to. This is a very basic thing, but we all want that, you know, visual, tangible affirmation of our faith. And these friends get that. Well, and I think going on what you said, I think we should always try to let others who have, uh, you know, been so faithful to let them know their work is not in vain. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at times. And we so want that, that. That's a that's a challenge for us. Yeah. 
Well, we're going to wrap things up. Again, send us your thoughts, questions, or comments. Who would you want to be? Who would you not want to be in these stories? We, we hope to hear from you. And if you haven't checked out our new website, it's kingdomofthelogos.com. You can download our podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, a lot of different places. Take it with you wherever you go. And grab a link to our stuff, share it with your friends. Check out our YouTube channel. We have movie reviews we're doing over there. We're going to add The Lion King. We were going to do one on Stephen King's It, but we're going to do a movie called Rope instead. It's a, it's a much better movie. Um, and wrapping all this up, check out our YouTube channel. Support our stuff. If you'd like to donate monetarily, you can do that at Kingdom of the Logos, or patreon.com slash kingdomofthelogos. With that, God love you, and have a blessed day.